God is sovereign and works all things according to the purpose of his will. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I am grateful to be here this morning to deliver God's word to you. Um, there's a laminated piece of paper here that's been here for some time. It's a quote by C.H. Spurgeon that says, Step aside, sir, that they may see Jesus. Um, and that's my hope. It's what I've been praying this week, um, that I would step aside by God's grace and that you would only see Christ here this morning. If this is your first time here, I want to say welcome. I'm genuinely glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, we've been working through a series entitled Our Covenant, the promise that we make each other, uh, in which we are working through our member covenant point by point. Pastor Josh, week one, uh, defined a member covenant, and it should be on the screens behind me. A member covenant is a local, collective, and explicit promise before God and to each other that we will submit ourselves to Jesus's authority. And the member covenant here at Hagerstown Church distills 10 biblical principles that we are convinced define Christian faith and practice as a church body here at Hagerstown Church. Um, and as this is, is week three of our series, I've been tasked with preaching on principle number three of our member covenant. Uh, but before we do that, let's, let's pray. Father, we, we ask that uh, in your power that you would use your word this morning to uh, sanctify us further, to draw us closer to you, uh, to set us apart and make us holy. Um, Father, we, we ask that you would uh, even further cause us to wonder at the gift that is the church, um, that we would see your wisdom in creating it. Uh, Father, we, we ask that as we open your word, that we would see Jesus high and lifted up here this morning. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Before we begin, a couple uh, orders of business. In the black pew Bibles in front of you, you'll notice a copy of our member covenant kind of tucked in the back of that. And you can also access it on our website by going to hagerstownchurch.org slash what we believe. You can scroll down to the bottom and find a PDF of it there. I encourage you as we go through this series over the next 10 weeks to be referencing that covenant in whatever medium you choose, follow along with me as I read principle number three. The principle says this, and it should be on the screen. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise in affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. As I begin this morning, you'll be happy to know that the main idea, as you see, is the principle itself. So if you struggle during these sermons to jot down that main point or main idea, uh, you're in luck because every single week during the series, the main idea is the principle itself. So if you've taken a look at that covenant this morning, you'll notice that each of our points have texts that are assigned to them from which we distill the principle. With principle number three this morning, you'll notice that there are two scripture references uh, that accompany it, and both are from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. The first is Romans 12.10, where Paul writes that we are to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And the second this morning is Romans 15.14. Paul writes again, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. 
Now, we want to be good expositors of the Bible here at Hagerstown Church, so even though we are currently in a topical series, let's pretend for a moment that we are going through the book of Romans, and we have arrived at these two verses. So let's take some time to look at these two texts, and I pray that it would be a fruitful time for us this morning. So let's consider Romans 12.10, the first text that goes with our principle. So in this verse, we see that love is defined in two complementary ways. So we have love one another with brotherly affection. So the word that's rendered love here in love one another is a compound Greek word that very interestingly only appears here in the entire New Testament. And it's the word philostorgos. Everyone say that, philostorgos. This is a word that Paul is using to describe the kind of cherishing, devotional, familial love that members of the church should have for one another. It's a, it's a natural love that family members have and a word that Paul is now using to describe the church and its love for one another. The other word where we have rendered brotherly affection, so love one another with brotherly affection, is one many of us might be familiar with. It's the Greek word philadelphia. We as Americans say Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. And this is, of course, the uh, uh, unique Christian love that, that Christians have for each other in the church. I like to think of it as if, if Jonathan and David from the Old Testament were in fact New Testament folks, that it surely would have been said that they had that brotherly love for each other when you consider just the tight-knit friendship that they had that we see in the Old Testament. So these two Greek words, philostorgos, philadelphia, they help us to understand in part the love that is to be in the church. Now you may be noticing that Paul doesn't use the most common biblical word for love in the Bible. Many of you may know it as agape. Uh, And I think that this is an intentional move on the part of Paul. Many of us would be quickly to define love, especially in this culture, as as something that is manifested primarily in action and not in emotion. So it's the sacrifice that we show, that deep agape love. But Paul is not concerned here with discussing that kind of love. Again, we know that love as primarily shown by God when he sent his son to be a sacrifice for us, when he showed that unconditional sacrificial love, and it's the same love that we are to be showing to not only those in the church, but to those outside the church, to unbelievers, even to our enemies. That's agape love, but Paul is not talking about that here because he wants, us to, he wants to remind us that in this verse that to walk in brotherly love, as our covenant says, is not just about action, that it's not just about action, but it's also about feeling. It's also about our affections. It's just as much about our sacrifice as it is our disposition, right? How do we feel towards our brothers and sisters when we serve them, when we do acts of service, when we lay down our lives for the brothers? Our covenant states that we are to walk in brotherly love, and see that next part, exercising an affectionate care, an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, not some kind of emotionalist, obligatory, dutiful kind of love, but an affectionate love. John Piper, in a sermon on this very verse, he says something that I think is very helpful 
Uh, allow me to quote him somewhat at length here. But he says that the command for believers to love each other in the New Testament, the command for how we are to relate to each other in the body of Christ, is not, this is really important, not merely that we bless those who curse us or that we return good for evil or that we pray for those who treat us badly or that we do unto others as we would want them to do to us. There is more to this command. We are to feel an affection, a tender affection for each other. He goes on, it is the will of God for his children not just to do good things for each other and not just to pray for each other or speak decently of each other. God's will is for more. Love each other with brotherly affection. Love each other with brotherly affection. So again, we see that to love our brothers and sisters completely, to truly walk in brotherly love with one another, requires both sacrifice and affection, both action and feeling. In a family, there should be affection, I would hope, right? There should be affection, and it should be no different inside the church. God is not content for us to treat each other uh, with outward acts of kindness, outward acts of sacrifice, but in our hearts feel hardness and bitterness um, to somehow robotically and again dutifully, maybe even coldly, serve one another and call that love. Uh, God, but also our being, and he's sovereign, he's able to command not only our actions, but also our emotions, our disposition. As we continue in this verse, again, Romans 12, 10, we see that as we love one another with brotherly affection, that we are to, as Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, see who can be the most humble or uh, to see who at the end of the day can say that I put others before myself the most, right? If you ever go to a guy and he says, look at me, I'm the most humble guy, it's probably not true, right? So hopefully we, we see that that's not what Paul's getting at here when we're to outdo one another in showing honor. But I think that Paul is saying that to show honor to one another should be the natural inclination and disposition of the church, right? The members of the church should be so inclined to elevate their fellow brothers and sisters, to decrease, to use what John the baptizer says, to decrease and have the brothers and sisters increase, right? A church that is truly outdoing one another and showing honor will be united, we talked about unity last week, will be united in love and humility. And as we put others before ourselves, we honor one another. We give honor even when we may not think that it's deserved. We ascribe worth to one another even when we may not think that there's any apparent worthiness. And I think that in short, that we act like God when we honor one another because God has ascribed to us infinite worth, right? As we are covered in the righteous robes of Jesus. Putting these two sections of this verse together, I think that we would all agree that if we are truly loving one another with brotherly and sisterly affection, then showing honor to one another should just be the natural overflow of our hearts. It should be pretty easy to, to honor one another if we are affectionate for one another. So we are to walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercising affectionate care. 
The second half of our principle this morning talks about the ideas of admonishing and entreating. So let's look at Romans 15, 14. Again, Paul says that, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So Paul here is, he's full of satisfaction. He knows that even while he's not actually met this church yet, and we see in other areas that he longs to go there one day, he has heard that this church has been brought from darkness to light, that they have received that new Ezekiel heart that no longer is filled with all the manners of unrighteousness that Paul references earlier in the letter, but in fact, they've been filled with goodness. They've been filled with knowledge, and because of that, they're now able to instruct one another. And it's this last phrase, able to instruct one another, that we want to focus on here. The instruction that Paul is referring to is not merely a download of information, the receiving of information or the telling of information. Many of us would call that a lecture, perhaps. But rather, the Greek indicates a kind of instruction that seeks to caution, that seeks to reprove, that seeks to warn. I've already given you two Greek words. You're not getting the third. You can look that up when you go home today. But this instruction that Paul's talking about is one that counsels, uh, that's given in order to keep members of the church on a straight and narrow path. We sang about that this morning. It's an instruction given to a child that many of us know who's about to touch a stove, and we warn them, we admonish them, don't do that. It's instruction that shows that we really care for one another's souls. Uh, That's why our member covenant says what it says. So under the umbrella of instructing one another, we see in our covenant a promise to watch over each other, a promise to admonish and entreat one another. Now, these are not words that we typically use in our everyday vernacular, admonish, entreat, but I think that they are words that are deeply essential and vital to the health and to the life of the church. When's the last time that we strongly encouraged or urged a brother and sister, uh, even maybe pleadingly, to do something that we thought needed to be done for their good? We see an example of this uh, when, when the Apostle Paul entreats two ladies in the Philippian church, when he pleads with them to put aside their disagreement, whatever that might have been, and agree again in the Lord. That's what it means to entreat. Or when's the last time that we cautioned or, or warned, maybe even lovingly called out a dear brother and sister uh, concerning sin? Maybe the sin of gossip, uh, a sin that so easily engulfs the church and divides the church and breaks that unity uh, that our brother Jason spoke on last week. Uh, that's what it means to admonish, to caution, to warn, to try to get our members to be on this straight and narrow path when they start to stray. Now, this is important. Paul seems convinced that all members of the church are able to do this kind of instruction. He doesn't seem to think that it's just the elders who are to admonish or that it's just gifted teachers or certified uh, biblical counselors that are to entreat. Um, Paul seems to think that 
in being a member of the church universal, adopted into the kingdom of God through the power of the blood of Jesus, filled with goodness and knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives and is still giving, that all of us have been given not only the ability, but the calling to instruct one another in the local church. And if we are to take this further, we would say that because this calling is for all members of the church, that the avenue in which it takes place is not just from the pulpit or in a counseling room, but really it can happen anywhere, right? It can happen on Sunday morning, before church, after church. It can happen at life group, at discipleship group, or over a cup of coffee, Um, maybe in a packed 15-passenger van on the way to a, a conference. There are a myriad of ways and opportunities and mediums by which we can admonish and entreat. We are to do this as the occasion may require. That's what our covenant says. And that means that whatever the occasion is, whenever the occasion comes, whatever medium you find yourself in, to be ready to admonish and entreat to be ready to instruct one another and encourage one another as we seek to walk together uh, in this world, against the world, against the powers of the world, against the powers of our flesh, and against the powers of, of Satan himself. Now, these two verses are by no means the only two verses in the Bible that have something to say about brotherly love and uh, admonition. In fact, God's Word has much to say about these two things. So following the example of Pastor Josh in week one, and uh, some of you are sweating because you think I'm about to riff off 59 verses that uh, you're not going to be able to have time to write down, uh, I'm not going to do that, uh, but I am going to give you 14, okay? (laughs) So here we go. Uh, Under the umbrella of brotherly love and affection, 1 Peter 1.22 Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Peter again, 2 Peter 1.7, we are to supplement our godliness with brotherly affection and supplement our brotherly affection with love. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Paul writes, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Considering admonition, Paul, when he's about to leave the Ephesian elders, he says this, recorded in Acts 20. He says to therefore be alert, Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. 1 Corinthians 4.14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Colossians 3.16, many of us may be familiar with this one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brothers, we urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 13, 
but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Rest assured that in a situation like that, there would have undoubtedly been much admonition and entreatment. Jesus, when he was on this earth, uh, he instructed his disciples, saying, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. That's recorded in Luke 17. And lest that we think that this is only a New Testament principle and, and the three-fourths of the Bible called the Old Testament has nothing to say about these, these ideas, God gives this command to Moses in Leviticus 19. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Solomon writes in his wisdom, chapter 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, or in brackets, the wounds of a fellow church member. So we see that the Bible is clear that we are to walk in brotherly love with one another and that we are to look out for one another, uh, admonishing and entreating as the occasion may require. Now, at first glance, as we, uh, as we look at these two verses that we've just exposited, uh, as we look at our principle, it may seem to, th- to us that, um, that we're really talking about two different Christian concepts. So on the one hand, we're talking about walking in brotherly love. On the other hand, we're talking about admonition. But, uh, you know, well, maybe, maybe we as good Baptist congregationalists should convene a meeting at some point and rewrite the covenant to have a principle that only talks about brotherly love and a principle that only talks about admonishment. But we're not going to do that because this principle is one principle. And I think that is wise because the principles of love and admonition are so interrelated. They are so interconnected that without brotherly love, without brotherly love, we lack the proper heart to instruct and admonish. Do you see the connection? Without brotherly love, we lack the proper heart to do these things. On the flip side, without instruction, without admonition, we really call into question our familial affection for one another. We see that these are are intricately connected. So as faithful church members, we are to speak the truth and instruct in love. We are to watch over each other in love. We are to faithfully admonish and entreat through love. It's love that really is the, pro, uh, the primary motivator that compels us to do these things. If I was to say these in a positive way, I would say that it is brotherly love that exercises an affectionate care and watchfulness. Or it is brotherly love that faithfully admonishes and entreats. If I were to flip that and say it negatively, I could say something like this. It's lack of brotherly love that exercises a hateful neglect. Or uh, it is lack of brotherly love that, instead of faithfully teaching and admonishing, keeps the mouth closed when occasion 
required otherwise. So we, we show our love for the church when we lovingly admonish it. This is one of the ways that we show that we love one another. If we say that we have brotherly love for each other, but we don't speak up when one of our members is driving off the proverbial cliff, can we truly say that we love that member? If we say that we love the church, but we don't offer a poll to one who's uh, uh, slipping and sinking into quicksand, can we truly say that we have brotherly and sisterly affection? Making this really practical, if we say that we love one another, but we ignore the biblical practice of church discipline, which, by the way, doesn't start with excommunication, but it starts with a one-on-one conversation, uh, do we truly, or can we truly say that we, we love one another? So as we, as we put this principle together and we see the wisdom in, in having it be one principle, we see that brotherly love and admonition are really two sides of the same coin. Now, before I move into a time of application this morning, I do want to pause and address something that I think I'd be remiss if I didn't. Um, I recognize that this morning I'm not just preaching uh, in the presence of church members. Um, there are undoubtedly some in this room who, who are not members of this church or, or any church, but who still claim Christ nonetheless. It could be that many of you had have, have had various ex- experiences with the church in the past that have left you scarred, have left you maybe even tempted to abandon the church altogether. Maybe you thought, that the, you thought and heard that the church was all about brotherly love, but when you got close, your experiences said otherwise. Uh, or maybe, maybe you were admonished by a fellow Christian, but the experience really just left you feeling condemned and, and full of shame and, and full of guilt. If that's your story here this morning, if, this, if that's what you've brought with you this morning, uh, let, please, let, or please uh, know that I'm not here to discredit that. In fact, I hear what you feel when you think that. Um, I think that the church, if we were being honest with ourselves a lot, um, do a pretty mediocre job of, of walking in brotherly love at times. But I still want to speak into that experience. Um, I want you, if that's your story, I want you to know that, that church membership, church membership exists for those of us who fail to walk in brotherly love. That's why it exists. It's, it's for those who fall short in proper admonishment. It's for those of us who have left such an awful wreckage in our wake in the name of truth. We recognize here at Hagerstown Church that we all fall short, and we don't just fall short in this one principle that we're looking at today. We fall short in the entire covenant as we consider the commands of God that are distilled in it. But we believe that it's in the context of the local church, it's in the context of biblical church membership that the gospel has been designed by God to bear the most fruit in our lives. It's why we covenant with one another. It's why we watch over each other to make this gospel that we cherish, which is our only hope, to be the center of our lives. So if you're here this morning and you claim the name of Christ, allow me to entreat you 
to use a word from this morning, allow me to ask that you would in humble trust uh, take the next step and pursue membership here with us. Now, I can't promise that, uh, that, that you won't experience an unloving moment or some hurtful experience uh, from the members here at Hagerstown Church. I can't promise that. But uh, what I can promise is that Christians need each other. Christians need each other. The world is too dangerous a place for us to wander alone. We need each other if we're going to arrive safely on the golden shore that, that Jeremy sung about this morning. Uh, this is God's beautiful and wise design, to covenant with one another, to make a promise to each other, to provide affectionate care, to watch over each other, to admonish and entreat when the occasion may require, and a promise to walk in brotherly love. So if that's you, if you're, if you're on the outside looking in, would you embrace membership this morning? I also want to quickly, before we go into application, recognize those here this morning who maybe don't claim Christ at all. Uh, and perhaps this talk of church covenants and membership and brotherly love and admonishment, maybe these are just foreign concepts to you. But I want to say, regardless, I am glad to see you. I said that at the beginning. I say it now. I am glad that you have joined us this morning. And it's my hope it's my hope that you would see the Jesus that truly is, not the one that we as a church have so often portrayed as we have failed to walk in brotherly love. It's my hope that, that you would leave today, as we leave this place, that you would see Jesus, the Jesus that we, the members of Hagerstown Church, joyfully and happily submit ourselves to. As we move into a time of application, we want to ask, what are some practical things that, that we can do and think in order to faithfully carry out this principle? I think it'd be good if we, we read our principle again. Again, it says, we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. So how can we get better and grow at walking in brotherly love and admonition. Allow me to offer five suggestions here this morning. There are many more than five suggestions, but we have limited time, so here are five. First, I think that in order to stir up our affections and our brotherly love for one another, we wanna grow in that, we need to remember who our fellow members are and what they're going to become one day. It should be on the screen. We must remember who our fellow members are and what they will become. The members that, that we have covenanted together with are our brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Do we truly grasp that reality? I think often we, we use the term brother or sister and it just becomes part of what we say, you know, see you later, brother. Uh, how was your weekend, brother? Love you, sister. But when we say those words, do we truly grasp the familial thing that we are talking about when we say those words? Your brothers and sisters are children of God in the kingdom of God. Even more miraculously, your brothers and sisters are brothers of King Jesus. Romans says that he is the firstborn among many brothers. 
Not only are your brothers and sisters image bearers of God, but by grace, they are being made into the image of Christ. They are being conformed to the image of Christ who died for them. Do we think of this when we interact with our brothers and sisters? In spite of all the flaws that we still have and and the sin that still mars us, when we look at one another, when we look at our brothers and our sisters, we must not allow our affections to be extinguished by all the things that we see that we don't like, that we will undoubtedly see, all the little things that may annoy us, the sin that we think that brother or sister should be done with, right? What do we do in those moments? You know, undoubtedly, this church family will eventually fail to show brotherly love to you. It's going to happen. It probably already has happened. What do you do in those moments? What do you do a week later when the memory comes back? What do you do? Do your affections diminish? Does your heart harden? I think it's in those moments that we need to fight for our affections. Fight for our affections. Just as we fight sin, we should fight for our affections. We need to see that that brother or sister is a child of God. We need to see them the way that God sees them, perfectly righteous in Christ. Our love will grow as we recognize that our brothers and sisters are being transformed daily by the power of the Holy Spirit, daily. Here at Hagerstown Church, we call that we're all in process. We need to believe that our brother, our sister, is being made into a being that will one day be so glorified in holiness by the power of God that as C.S. Lewis once said, if you saw them now as they will be one day, you would be tempted to worship them. Do we see our brothers and sisters like that? Holy, like God sees them, righteous in Christ. We cannot be preoccupied by each other's faults but we must make war against that. We must not allow them to fill our minds, but we need to remember who our fellow members are right now, who they are positionally in Christ. And we need to know what they are becoming as they are sanctified in Christ. It's then that our affections will grow. Secondly, as we consider how to grow in this principle, We must recognize that it is God's plan in his wisdom to use his people to sanctify his people. It's God's plan to use his people to sanctify his people. I want you to take five seconds and look around this room. It's a little awkward, but go ahead and do it. Make eye contact with your brothers and sisters. If you're in the front, that means you've probably got to turn your head around a lot. Okay? Do you see those people that you have covenanted with here at Hagerstown Church. You see them, your brothers, your sisters. It is God's plan to use you to sanctify them. It's God's plan to use you to sanctify them. They're going to become more like Jesus if you participate in God's plan. Now, for some of us, this might be causing some anxiety and fear to start, well up, uh, start welling up inside of us. Maybe you're saying something like this. 
You're telling me that God is depending on me to make sure another one of his children displays the holiness without which they won't see the Lord? I'm the guy with the indwelling sin. I'm the guy who falls really, really, really short. And you're calling me to help sanctify that brother? Two thoughts, if that is you this morning. First, God is not dependent on you. God is not dependent on you. During the height of the pandemic, our our Hubtown kids learned that God is self-sufficient. He does not need anything. He's not dependent on anyone. But he has purposed to use you. He has purposed to use you. Second, instead of being timid, we really should be filled with confidence knowing that this is God's plan, right? When has God ever made a plan that didn't work? Never. We used to sing at Hagerstown Church a song called God is Able. God is able, he will never fail, he is on my side. Do we believe that? That God will never fail. That his plans always come to fruition. So God has purposed this as his plan and he's going to bring it about. So what joy it should be to know that we get to play a part in causing our dear brothers and sisters to adore the Jesus that we all adore. What an awesome, awesome opportunity that we have to play a part in that. It's very similar to the plan that God has to save the elect. He uses the church to preach the gospel, the elect are saved, and then he uses those who are saved to help sanctify his children. These are God's plans, and when God makes a plan, it works every single time. And so if we are to grow in this principle of brotherly love and admonition, we need to recognize that it is God's plan to use his people to sanctify his people. Thirdly, as we continue in application, very down to earth here, I think that we should take advantage of the means by which Hagerstown Church helps to promote this principle. The means by which Hagerstown Church helps us to carry this out. We saw earlier that it's not just in the preaching of God's word that Paul has in mind when he says that the church in Rome is, church in Rome is able to instruct one another. Uh, rather, it's the everyday means that involve all of us. Hagerstown Church recognizes that discipleship can happen organically and unplanned, and oftentimes it does. But the church also believes that it's wise and prudent to provide official pathways to carry out this principle, to walk in brotherly love, to have occasion to admonish one another. And one of these opportunities is life groups. Life groups, you hear them talked about a lot here. We call these groups life groups because these are groups designed to do life with one another. That's why we call them that. Hear this. It's impossible to walk in brotherly love with one another if we do not do life with one another. I'll say that again. It's impossible to walk in brotherly love with one another if we do not do life with one another. So if you're not in a life group this morning, especially if you're a member of Hagerstown Church, Would you consider joining one, even starting today? Consider yourself officially invited to my life group. It meets at 4 o'clock at the Galvin household. They are wonderful hosts. Don't come today. We have a members meeting tonight, so no one will be there. But 
consider yourself invited next week. We would love to save a seat for you. Another one of the means that we use is discipleship groups. Many of us may refer to these as D groups. These are small groups of three to five men or women who meet regularly and commit to reading God's word, discussing it, encouraging one another, and admonishing one another as they walk together. And I would argue that because of their nature, their smallness and their gender exclusivity, just men in a group, just women in a group, that they really offer even more of an opportunity than life groups to provide affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. If you have questions about life groups or discipleship groups or any of the other means that, that Hagerstown Church provides for us, I want you to get in contact with Pastor Chris. He oversees our discipleship, and I'm sure that he would love uh, to answer any questions you have and get you plugged into one, like I said, even maybe today. That's number three. Number four. This is really 4A and 4B, so forgive me. Fourth, if we are to grow in brotherly love and admonition, we need to learn to ask good questions and consider our conversations. Learn to ask good questions and consider our conversations. So we are to admonish and entreat as the occasion may require, right? But how many of us miss the occasions altogether? They just go by and we didn't even notice them. I think that unless that we are intentional in carrying out this principle and really intentional about caring about or carrying out the entire covenant, that it's really just not going to happen. How much of life is about intentionality, making sure that we focus on doing something? So good intentional questions draw out the heart and can reveal the occasions where we can lovingly speak truth with one another. Proverbs says it this way, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. As members of Hagerstown Church, are we learning to ask wise, provoking, understanding questions? Are we seeking to ask questions that evidence care for one another's souls. Instead of asking the general questions that we all ask, like, how are you doing? How was your weekend? What are you up to? Those kind of things. Maybe consider putting in some of these kind of questions, like, how can I pray for you, brother? Maybe in your D group, how are you struggling with sin right now, sister? How is your soul, friend? It's these kinds of questions that are less easily evaded by our squirmy hearts that so often want to go back to the garden and hide in the shadows. Similarly, uh, 4B, let's consider our conversations. Are our conversations with one another drawn more to the fleeting pleasures of this world or are they centered on the gospel in the pursuit of holiness? Are our conversations, in a sense, sanctified? How many of us, without a show of hands, after the service, do a hard shift and, and start talking about what's for lunch, or how the game went last night, or, or if and when we're gonna go see that new Marvel movie? Um, I'm not by any means saying that 
that we should become professional Jesus jukers, wear name badges that say, hey, my name is Brad, I'm a Jesus juker. That's, that's not what I'm saying, right? We don't want to be puffed up in pride or some false sense of piety and be that guy that all he ever, all, every sentence he says has the word Jesus in it, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But, or, and, and, and further to that point, God has wired us in a certain way to enjoy certain things. We all enjoy different things, right? We're not all robots here. God desires to give his children good gifts because he's a good father, and he desires to, for us to take pleasure in them. What, what father gives a gift to his child and doesn't want him to take pleasure in it? But I'm concerned, uh, concerned for myself as I've thought about this, uh, and concerned for all of us that we, we really just find it easier and, and more natural to engage in these sorts of empty kinds of conversations, really just because our hearts are more concerned by the things of this world than for the souls of our brothers and sisters. Remember, point two, God has tasked us to stir up one another to love and good works. Dr. Strange and all his magical multiversal power is unable to do that thing that God has called us to do. But God has called us to do it and he's given us the power to do it. So one of the ways that we can get better at providing care and watchfulness, which may lead to occasion for admonition, is to consider how to orient our conversations around the gospel and to learn how to ask good questions, to be that man or woman of understanding. As we move to our fifth and final application this morning, this is the one that I think is the most important. So it is by no means number five, because it's least important. What is the most important thing that we can do if we want to grow in brotherly love and admonition? I would submit that it is simply to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. As I was prepping for this sermon this week, this was the sweetest time of my prep as I looked to Jesus this week. This is a simple saying that we say a lot in Hagerstown Church. Look unto Jesus, look at Jesus, look to Jesus, turn our eyes to Jesus. It's something we say a lot, but its, it's simplicity by no means diminishes its power to look to Jesus, to behold Jesus be transformed by his glory. In the same way that we, that we love to gaze at beautiful sunsets, and there are a lot of beautiful sunsets, I want to spend these last few minutes here this morning gazing at the life of Jesus, okay? Jesus was and is our perfect example of brotherly love. He is the perfect example of this. He was the unstained example of a love that was both actionable and affectionate. Remember we said love one another with brotherly affection. He didn't just die sacrificially for a nameless group of people for whom he felt nothing and knew nothing about, some amalgous lump of, of people to die for. But rather, Jesus laid his life down for his friends. Laid his life down for his friends. Those whom he loved dearly cherished deeply. When he was on earth, Jesus did life with his disciples. He experienced with them the deep joys, the deep sorrows of life. One pastor characterizes the cross, and I love this. He says that the cross 
is, quote, an affection-filled sacrifice for friends. An affection-filled sacrifice for friends. When's the last time we thought of the cross like that? Affection-filled sacrifice for friends. The night he was betrayed, Jesus said this to his disciples. It's recorded in John 15. It should be on the screen. Starting in verse 12, Jesus tells his disciples, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So we must absolutely see Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Our salvation hinges on the fact that Jesus was the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, the perfect king. But our salvation by no means or no less depends on the fact that Jesus has befriended us, that Jesus laid his life down for his friends. And and as the hymn says, what a friend that we have in Jesus, right? What a friend that we have. The brotherly love that Jonathan and David had for each other in the Old Testament in no way compares to the love that Jesus has for us, the affection And would that we would reciprocate that kind of affection for Jesus that he has for us, those whom he has befriended. This is a glorious truth. I pray that you would meditate on that this week, that Jesus has called you friend. Would you gaze further this morning with me? When we look at Jesus, we see the perfect example of faithful admonishment and instruction. The perfect example. Jesus did not ignore or fail to address areas in the disciples' lives that needed addressing. He faithfully watched. He faithfully taught. He faithfully admonished. He faithfully reproved. Jesus was deeply concerned for his disciples' souls and exercised an affectionate care for them. When the disciples were arguing over which one of them was the greatest, which they tended to do from time to time, including at the Last Supper, Jesus, in one of the instances, uses a small child to reorient their thinking, to get them back on the narrow path, to warn them against the kind of thinking or what that might lead to think uh, in that way. When James and John were wanting to call down fire from heaven and and be Elijah of the New Testament and, and, and destroy a Samaritan village who had rejected Jesus, the text says simply that Jesus rebuked them doesn't say what he said, but it says that Jesus rebuked them for thinking that. An example that we're all familiar with, when Peter refused to believe that Jesus was to suffer and die at the hands of lawless men, remember he said, far be it from you, Lord. What does Jesus do? He lovingly but sternly pushed back, and he rebuked Peter. What did he rebuke him for? We, see, we actually see what he did, or we, what he rebuked in the text here. It was for setting his mind on the things of this earth and not on the things of God. Jesus rebuked Peter. He loved him enough, so much, that he was willing to rebuke him. Jesus was the perfect example of someone who exercised affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. He was the perfect example 
of someone who faithfully admonished and entreated as the occasion did require. So Hagerstown Church, let us imitate Christ. Let us be like Christ in this way. He was the perfect example, marrying these two together, of loving instruction, loving admonition. It was love that motivated Jesus. The aim of his charge was love. He opened his mouth because of love. His affection for his friends led him to speak hard truths. When, when uh, his, effect, well, his affection for his friends led him to speak hard truths when the occasion arose. And his perfect love cast out any sort of fear that might have precluded him from entering into that awkward conversation. He had perfect love for his friends. You would say that he cared more about his friends' souls than he cared about what they thought about him in that moment. Do you think that Jesus cared more about what Peter was going to think about him before he rebuked him? No, he cared more about Peter's soul and keeping him on the narrow path by loving him in this way. Hagerstown Church, would we look to imitate Christ as he has set the example for us? We see in the scriptures that we are to walk in every way, to walk in the same way in which he walked, to walk in the same way that he walked. Jesus walked in brotherly love, and so should we. Jesus exercised an affectionate care and watchfulness, and so should we. Jesus faithfully admonished and entreated as the occasion required, and so should we, Hagerstown Church. Jesus is our greatest example, and we must follow his lead. As I close, I want to leave you with one final exhortation. Last week, our brother Jason shared the words of one of his life group. And this life group member said this, quote, this covenant would be a burden were it not for Jesus. This covenant would be a burden were it not for Jesus. And I think that person is right. Without Jesus, the member covenant would be no more than a legalistic set of demands that would just crush us under the weight of its obligation. But I'm very thankful this morning, and thanks be to God, that while Jesus is our great example, he is even greater a redeemer. Amen? While he is a great example, he is an even greater redeemer. Brothers and sisters, we're all aware that we do not look to Jesus as we should. Nor do we obey him as we ought. We more often than we would be willing to admit fail to live out the commands of God that are distilled in our member covenant. We fail to obey the command of God to walk together in brotherly love. We fail to exercise affectionate care and watchfulness. And we fail to faithfully admonish and entreat. We fall short, don't we? If we're being honest, we fall short every day. Perhaps even this morning, you failed in some way to walk in brotherly love and admonition. But Jesus paid for that. We sang about that this morning, that Jesus paid for that. He paid for the time yesterday that you harbored bitterness in your heart towards a brother when God was calling you to have affection. He paid for that time that you should have reasoned frankly with your sister, but just to love yourself more in that moment. 
He paid for that time five years from now when you'll seek to admonish a brother or sister, but it'll be because of pride and you'll hurt that person. He's paid for it all, past, present, and future with his own blood. Do you believe this, Hagerstown Church, that Jesus paid it all? And not only did he pay for it with his life, but he took his life back up again. He took his life back up again, rising from the dead, that we would walk in newness of life and be given the power by the Holy Spirit to walk in the commands of God. So church, look to Jesus this morning. Look to him. Look to Jesus as our example. Look to Jesus as our great redeemer. And yes, dare to even look to Jesus as your friend. Church, we have been given everything that we need by him to carry out this covenant. So let's faithfully, joyfully submit ourselves to Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, you are calling a people out of every tongue, tribe, and nation who are going to be united with your son. Father, we saw this morning as we read your scriptures that it was because of your great love that you predestined us that we would be conformed to the life of Jesus, to his righteousness. Jesus, we thank you for being not only the great example, but a great redeemer, a great savior, the one who laid his life down for his friends, that there would be no condemnation for those friends. Father, we pray by the power of, of your son's resurrected life that we would grow in walking in brotherly love, that we would grow in providing an affectionate care and watchfulness, that we would grow in admonishing and entreating, that we would dare to love our family so much that we would enter into that awkward conversation for the good of their soul, for their holiness, that they one day would see God. Father, we love you. Jesus, we just thank you for laying your life down for us. It's in your name that we pray, amen.